Welcome to the Build Your Legal Business podcast, the place for lawyers who want to scale without burning out. I am Hannah Becko, your self-employed lawyer coach, by your side as you create the practice you dream of, reduce your working hours and change the Fianna mindset to successful lawyerpreneur. Enjoy the episode. everyone. I'm delighted in today's episode to welcome Michael Byrne, the founder of Carbon Law Partners and Bamboo. So hello, Michael. Thank you for coming to join me. Tell everybody a little bit more about who you are. Hi, Hannah. Thanks very much for having me on today. Um, so I'm Michael Byrne, as you've said, and I have been a lawyer for over a quarter of a century. Um, when you start measuring your time in something with a cricketing score, you know you've been at it a while. So my background is I did articles um, at what's now Denton's. And then when I was a couple of years in, I went to Allen and Overy. And then for most of the rest of my um, career, I've been on the boards of listed and privately owned reasonably large companies in financial services. And then in 2010, um, I joined the circus in that I left a perfectly good job in the middle of a recession to start my own platform legal services business, which became Carbon Law Partners. So that's a little bit about who I am and what I've been doing. Oh, fantastic. Is this, I didn't know some of that. That's very interesting. So tell me, what made you start your own platform, your own firm? So I guess for, for most of my career, I was a buyer of legal services from top 100 law firms um, and spent you know, literally millions of pounds um, with um, those law firms on a whole range of things. Um, and at times I felt that, the, that what we were getting wasn't suiting us as a business and what the lawyers were doing wasn't suiting the lawyers either. So I had this sense of maybe the model for how you delivered legal services might be broken. And in fact, in 2016, I, um, I dived into my full imposter syndrome and I decided to tell everybody that I thought the practice of law was broken Ooh. and that it didn't suit lawyers and it didn't suit clients and that my feeling was that in order to do something differently and to create some alternatives, you needed to not tinker with existing models. You needed to come up with something completely new. It was a baby and bathwater situation, I felt. So uh, then what we did was to set about effectively looking at the best bits of lots of different types of businesses, including what you might call traditional law firms, which have got some best bits, um, things like collegiality being a best bit of a traditional law firm, but then they've got some bits that you would, where you wouldn't replicate them if you were starting from a blank sheet of paper, like working very long hours in one building, like taking a bank loan to buy a right to an income stream if you were invited to be a partner, and having the personal responsibility for that debt, which had caught some uh, senior lawyers out of. Halliwells and Manches when they very sadly disappeared from the legal landscape. So the tinkering option wasn't real for me. It needed a fresh start, I thought. So I set about trying it out myself. So rather than um, shouting from the rooftops, we've cracked it, come and join us. I ran a law firm on my own for two years uh, from a standing start with no clients, with nothing. And I learned an awful lot about 
running a law firm, choosing systems and what clients wanted. Um, and so I didn't just use my experience as a client for a proxy for what clients wanted. I tried to learn and then took all of that learning into a lab. We called it the lab. Um, and the lab was a, a, a small team of us taking um, the results of the experience I'd had being a sole practitioner, applying that. And then we went and did some market research. So we went beyond that. And we talked to 20 lawyers in top 100 law firms about what they wanted from a law firm. We talked to 20 providers of services to law firms to ask them what collaborating with a law firm was like and what they'd like from being collaborators with law firms. And we talked to 20 clients about what was important to them as clients. So a small survey. I don't claim that was um, market research that one ought to have necessarily relied upon, but we did rely upon it and get started. Um, and that all kicked off in 2014 with the creation of Carbon Law Partners. Fantastic. So tell us, um, before we come on to Bamboo, because I know how different that is, tell us how Carbon Law Partners is different from, you know, yes, the traditional law firms, but also from other, I'm going to call them fee share models, because that's an easy way to differentiate them. You you might call it something else. But how is Carbon Law different? Um, it's interesting, because the first thing I always quibble about is that label fee share. Fair enough. I thought you might. <laughs> uh, yeah, not, not to be too contrarian, um, but every law firm is a fee share model. Um, it, it, in essence, a lawyer provides their wares using a platform to clients in exchange for a percentage of the amount those clients pay. That feels like a fee share. Um, so if you're in a traditional firm, there's the, the, the well-known rule of thirds where you, broadly speaking, take a salary of a third of what you generate by, by way of billing. There's a third to contribute to overheads and a third for the partners as profit. Um, if you take some of the what you are calling fee share models, dispersed firms, um, those kinds of consultant solicitor models, um, you know, perhaps where self-determination is the key, you know, those have got anything from 60 to 80 percent of fee share. Um, so what's different uh, for me is when we came to look at this, this wasn't a, a law brand started by lawyers. It was actually a law brand started by people who'd worked in other sectors. So we borrowed extensively from the experience of running other business models in other sectors and didn't borrow very much at all, either from the traditional law firm models or, or indeed from many of the new entrants to the market that we've been talking about. So, for example, I have always believed, um, and that belief formed by working at St. James's Place, the um, listed FTSE listed wealth manager, that building a business and driving a revenue line works better if everybody is given the opportunity to have an equity stake, a proper equity stake in the business itself, not just the fee share, not just income, but a capital play. And so um, that's a bit like John Lewis's. It's yeah, not so thinking of John Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not. It's not new to have the idea of stakeholder or employee ownership. Of course, we're not an employee-based model. Um, so that's something that was very important to us. So in, in um, April 2018, we offered our partners in our law brand the opportunity, but not the obligation, to buy a stake in the whole business. And we gave employee share options to those people who we employed to help us to run the platform. And we felt that was really important, and we still do. So we have a principle 
which is the right of first refusal. So whenever we in future want to raise money to grow our business, we have promised our partners that we will always offer them the right of first refusal to buy more equity if they wish in the platform that we're creating. And if they don't want to, that's absolutely fine. There's no different treatment as a result of someone buying equity or not buying equity. So one of the big first differentiators, I think, is equity. Equity participation for consultant solicitors in the value that their work produces for the people who run the platform, yeah. which I, I'm not aware of that being something that's extensively used in the consultant solicitor marketplace. No, um, I certainly don't think I've come across it in any of the ones I've spoken to. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing then that's really, really important to us is to do with the quality of the work that the lawyers are doing. Um, and I guess back to my financial services days, for many, many years, I've been responsible for business quality and customer service and standards in retail financial services businesses in quite large brands in that space, like OpenWork, which used to be Allied Dunbar, and so on, most recently where I was on the board. Um, and one of the things I learned was that there wasn't really in my mind a reliable and helpful way of checking the standards of the work that was done. There was an awful lot of tidying up after the problems had been created. Mm. So um, we set about thinking about how do you solve that problem in these so-called fee share models, dispersed communities, people not in the same building, people working for themselves where if you ask them to do a file audit of a colleague's work when someone's self-employed, would they want to do that? And even if they would, how would they deliver the news that they didn't think the file was up to scratch? So really exercised my mind about that. And in fact, inspired by the London 2012 Olympics, not anything to do with law or financial services, I was intrigued by the idea, and don't get me wrong when I say this, but about random drug testing of athletes. What struck me was, a performance-driven athlete on the international stage didn't know when they were going to be tested. There was, there was no notice, no warning. And I thought, what, what would happen if we audited lawyers' client files like that? And one step further, what would happen if we used external auditors, people who were not employed by us, who might have the benefit of auditing a wide range of firms in the marketplace. So we would get the benefit of what good looks like across the piece, not just what we think good looks like. So we, we looked around and tried to find someone who was doing that back in 2014, 15. Couldn't find anybody of any size or scale offering that as a service to a business like ours. So we entered into a joint venture type relationship uh, with a compliance software provider called Reliance. And we went to them um, and said, look, how about we take your software that helps us to record audit results? What if through you, you do the audits? And what if we do it where you choose which file to audit with no influence from us as the firm, as long as you audit files for every one of our fee earners every month and post the results on Reliance, which creates an audit trail. So that's what we built back in 2015. So almost from the very beginning of the platform model for me, we have been auditing client files like that. And I think that means two things. Number one, it means our clients know that we take quality of work very seriously in a way that isn't commonplace in the legal services market. 
And number two, if you're a consultant solicitor thinking about where you should, what platform you should use, where you should work, where's safe? Where will your reputation and income be best protected? Where will you feel most comfortable joining? And how can you be sure that you're not going to sign yourself up to an environment where compliance and standards aren't taken seriously? And what happens to the PI premiums of those businesses and how is that passed on to you as the consultant? Mm. So there's a lot bound up in one word for us, which is quality. So we've got equity. Now we've got quality as a, a thing that we think of as important. Yeah, no, no, I, I can hear that. And again, that's, um, well, I was going to say it's almost a commitment to excellence, you know, to have those, the, the files audited like that. And I know it is a um, criticism, if you like, that I have heard of the consultant model from, from people who are not consultants, um, who perhaps have run into one or two individuals who were maybe not so diligent or, or not so whatever you want to say. Now, I confess that's been very rare for me. You know, the majority of the people I've ever worked with have all been excellent. But, you know, what you're doing takes away any of that possible criticism that people are not all, you know, operating at a high level. Yeah, we, we think we think so, Hannah. And I guess then the third thing that we think is really important. Um, so you go equity, quality, then you go value. So I've obviously made it clear that we think that you shouldn't build your business off the backs of others. And if it creates equity value, that should be shared where possible accepting that we're all in business to make money so we're not a charity um, i know there are models that actually are almost charity-based law firms which i think are fantastic in you know, new things coming to the market that that isn't us we might do good things through creating profit and wealth for other people but we're not a charity so in the pursuit of, of um, what we think of as important the third thing is value when you're a lawyer in a traditional law firm or a consultant solicitor law firm and you want to stop either because you want to retire from working or because you want to pursue another career perhaps you suddenly got the call from you know the movie makers and they want you to be the next batman or the next james bond or oh, yeah. whatever it is we're all waiting for that yeah i think i'm gonna have a particularly long wait but um but if it's not that or the lottery win that means that you don't want to work anymore what happens to the value that is inherent in your client base when you stop for whatever reason? Well, back in my financial services days, again, back at St. James's Place, uh, the FTSE listed wealth management business I was with, and in Open Work, um, which used to be Allied Dunbar, and other businesses like that I've worked in, effectively, they operated something called practice buyout or partner's capital plan. And what that said was, when you're coming towards an exit, you can find someone else to acquire from you any value that there is in your client base. Now, if your client base is very transactional and you haven't got a loyal following of clients that you've built up over a life's work, there may be little value in your practice and therefore there won't be anybody interested in taking it over from you. But if you're not in that situation and you've got a loyal client following, what happens at the end? Do you just leave it behind with a traditional firm and then argue about when you get your capital account paid back? So you leave all the value on the table and then you go. Uh, if you leave a consultant's solicitor model, who, who owns the client relationship? Not the client, because clients are not pieces of meat to be traded. They're people to work with. 
who owns that relationship and who's going to be the guardian of it, the steward of it going forward? Who's, who's going to get the value from all of those marketing efforts, the lunches, the dinners, the golf, the working when you maybe shouldn't be working to get your client the result they really wanted? Who gets all that extra value? So our view is that should be with the consultant solicitor who generates it in the first place. So we have created what's called partner's capital value, where when you come to want to stop, it isn't a retirement cliff edge or a cliff edge of any description. You have what we call optionality. You could leave your business with us, appoint another fee earner to run it for you and agree a fee share with them, for instance. Mm -hmm. You could sell your business to another person using our platform already. You could sell your business to someone who's going to be a new entrant onto our platform. And whatever terms you agree, provided they are legal in this jurisdiction, we take no financial part in that. We don't want to take your money off you for facilitating this process. So for me, these differences are quite important. It's about where does the value in your life's work reside and who gets the value from all of your work? And it's about taking away the sense that being a consultant solicitor is just an income play, which is sort of what it's like in a traditional law firm. Yeah, yeah. No, I, th I think you're absolutely right. And, and I do think it was you who first mentioned this to me. And I said to you at the time, I don't think there's many people been thinking about that yet because we're only sort of 15, 16 years, I believe, into more of the consultant model we perhaps haven't had lots of people having to make that decision yet about what they do at retirement or just cutting down hours or whatever it is they want to do. Um, but yes, you're right. We've all built up businesses. That's what we've worked so hard to do. And where does that go? And, and do you do you take no further part in it or benefit from it, I suppose? But yeah, it's, it's, it's great that you've thought of it because I don't think... I, I, I can't claim to have thought of it. And this is a real theme for me, if I'm really honest. I feel like um, one of the profession's greatest plagiarizers, which I'm sure as someone who started out his practicing career as an IP lawyer and uh, would have dealt with copyright infringements is not something I should be saying. But what I mean is, I think we find great value in looking at how other sectors that are in particularly professional services, but obviously I've gone as far and wide as athletics, um, we look at those other sectors and we see what we can learn. So I didn't create the idea of creating a value in a, in a lawyer's business. Um, all I've done is borrow that from a different sector, financial services, and wonder out loud, you know, the thing I suppose I could give myself credit for is asking the question, why doesn't that happen in law? Yeah. And then, it, it, you know, the answers didn't satisfy me in the sense that I thought, oh, okay, well, that's the way it's always been. So you know, you're banging your head on the wall here, there's no point or nobody wants it. Actually, it just hasn't been done before, but it works in financial services. And the two professions are not the same. So you can't just read across. It's not a cut and paste. It's a cut, paste, edit and think about it job. Yeah. So that that's what we've tried to do. We do that all the time. We're always looking around to see who who's doing things that could be applied or that are interesting. Yeah, no, I'm really glad you've said that because that's actually a theme I want to explore further on on this podcast, and and maybe we'll we'll talk about that in, in another episode. Is the idea that there's so much out there 
that lawyers could learn from other businesses. And I've, I've seen that myself. It's only when I started a second business that was not as a lawyer that I learned all of this information and met all these interesting business people who do completely different things. But yet there's so much you can learn from them. And I think as lawyers, traditionally, we've only learned from other firms, other lawyers, and not what else is out there. Well, I think what's interesting for me is um, what you can learn from your clients. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if, if in fact, the best source of information I think you can ever have is to actually ask your clients. And I think law has been, as a, as a profession, quite slow to the idea that you should ask your clients. It's much more been, we've built, we've built an ivory tower for lawyers, and now we're going to tell our clients what they want or what they need. So as a buyer of legal services um, for many years, you know, I'd be told what I needed was a secondee or what I needed was this newsletter about updates in, in, in different areas of legal practice. And I, I found myself thinking, I don't need any of those things, actually. And you don't actually understand me as a buying client or us as a buying client of yours. And you're giving us things which cost you money to produce, which therefore we're paying for in the rates we're paying you that we don't actually value. And wait a minute, what if we asked the clients what they wanted and then gave them what they might value? Which is why I think I said at the beginning, I spent such a lot of time researching what do lawyers want? And in some cases, we've replicated what they told us. And in one or two other cases, like equity, quality and value, we've tried to provide a little bit of leadership about what might be possible where lawyers haven't thought like that in the past, because that's not the way it's been, by going off and doing reconnaissance, if you like. So let's go and survey the business landscape generally, do reconnaissance, and let's bring back to our friends in legal what we found when we went off having a scout about. Yeah. And so we brought back the equity idea, the quality idea, and the practice value idea. And then the rest of what we do, you know, I'd, I'd say actually what consultants lister firms do in the main is the same as what traditional law firms do they give you a platform on which you the consultants lister comply your trade you need the same sorts of things so you know you'll know from talking to others who are consultants listers everybody still needs microsoft teams microsoft word outlook some form of precedent based like a plc or a lexis library or something Everybody needs some kind of practice management system and some kind of billing system. They're all the same. So my view of the legal profession is a bit like we run a theatre. And wouldn't it be lovely uh, to think of theatres back open again properly soon? Mm. And my job is to keep the stage clean and well swept so that lawyers can come on it and perform to their chosen audiences. And that's all they do in traditional firms too. It's just that the economic model is massively different and who's in control is completely different. So, you know, the whole thing about big firms saying, you can choose whether you come to the office now. It's like, well, okay, you've, you've, you've just jumped on that bandwagon about 10 years after the consultants list the marketplace. Yeah, and it may be, bolted. Yeah. yeah, but it may be that that's, that makes the traditional firm more attractive for some people who maybe aren't in a position to want to start their own firm. Yes. And that's something that I think it's worth us considering, you know, running your own business is not for everyone, as you as you know. No, I do. Absolutely. And, and we might um, if we can come, come on to that in a second. But before we do, um, so I can hear how Carbon Law Partners is different, but Bamboo is 
is the first I've heard um, from you of, of its kind. So tell us a little bit about that. So um, the, 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 legal, the Legal Standards Board has recently said that they do not think the introduction of ABS law firms as an opportunity to bring outside investment and outside thinking into law has done enough to change what's currently offered to clients of all types. And so they almost threw the gauntlet down a few months ago when they said, you know, first of all, we'd like the profession to pay us some more money so we can do some more work as your super regulator. And secondly, we think the profession needs to really push itself and other entrants need to be attracted in. So armed with that bit of thinking, we'd had this idea that said, that goes something like this. Intel make chips. They don't make computers. They put Intel inside. And we're all familiar with, there's even a jingle that goes with it that I won't attempt to sing to you. <laughs> so we think of the idea of something being hidden under the bonnet of something else. Well, back, back to the um, prime plagiarizer. So over in financial services world, um, there are the number of times that I've done deals as a board director of these large businesses, white labeling something else, I've lost count. So I thought, why can't we take that Intel inside white labeling thinking and take a regulated law firm and give it different trading names? And if we give it different trading names, who can we allow to run those different law brands that would be created? So you take by extension the thinking that you apply to a consultants lister model and then you say to a financial advisor, do you refer work to lawyers and how does it go? So we did some research. You say the same to accountants. Do you refer work to lawyers and how does it go? You talk to lawyers and say, would you like to run your own law firm but don't want to run the back and middle office? So you want all the advantages of being a consultant solicitor, but you'd like your own name over the door. Mm -hmm. The feedback we got was that's a great idea why hasn't anybody thought of that before and I don't know if anyone has thought of it before I think there might be a couple of people who dabbled with it and played with it as an idea um, so we decided to try it out in the pandemic what better time to launch a new business proposition than when the country is in the grip of a you know once in a millennia pandemic um, so um, we set about talking to people who help and guide um, those thinking of starting law firms, the consultants and the accountants are in that space. And we asked them if they'd be prepared to make introductions to us of people who wanted to start a law firm but didn't want to run the back and middle office, who might otherwise have been outsourcing functions like legal cashiering and other things. What if you could outsource everything other than the winning of the work and the doing of the work? And the answer we got from that small group was, we, we think that would be great to offer the choice. Um, and so we created a few relationships with distributors and got the first introduction in the summer. We agreed the commercial terms, signed contracts in August to create a new brand on our platform, the Bamboo platform, uh, by the 1st of September. We adjusted and bespoke uh, the platform, so we configured it to the specific business case and needs of the brand. And we ran that project um, through the pandemic, everyone remote working. And we launched that second brand on our platform to sit alongside Carbon Law Partners on the 1st of September. 
And we sat back for the next two months and watched and learned because lifelong learning is basically at the heart of all that we're doing. And for me, I'm constantly trying to learn. I'm increasingly aware as I get older, Hannah, of how little I know. Unlike my teenagers who think they know everything, I am increasingly aware of how little I know. So I'm interested in learning all the time. So we learned a lot about what happened in that first couple of months. And we decided that we, we might have a proposition here uh, because it was going well. So we created the Bamboo platform as a, as a brand. We started the digital marketing and building of a pipeline of opportunities. And we've been um, slightly overwhelmed by the response of people. <laughs> um, so we are, we are gradually adding brands to that platform. Um, we recently added uh, the brilliant Catherine Hyde and her brand new litigation practice, Hooper Hyde, um, to the platform at the beginning of May. Um, you can expect to see us adding more brands over the next, uh, the next one or two months, definitely, because they're in process and more to follow beyond that. Discussions with financial advisors who refer to lawyers and would like to do that under their own brand and have control of their clients uh, and, and to have control of the value. Uh, we've got discussions going on with accountants. We've got discussions going on with law firms outside of the UK who want to start under their own name but don't understand regulation and would like to have it done properly by us. Uh, we've got discussions going on with private equity firms who are looking at buying law firms and consolidating them together um, and thinking about how they could then pass all that up and put it on a platform. We've got discussions going on with lawyers who were towards the latter stages of their careers who are thinking about retiring and they're thinking about a two-step process where step one is get your business on our platform and remove the risk of successor practice and runoff issues. And then step two, now that you don't have any of those issues, what is your practice worth back to practice value yeah. and who could you sell it to? Well, everyone you could have originally sold it to and now you can look at the platform Look left and right to those around you. Does that mean that the Bamboo platform's next step is to become a marketplace for M&A? Who knows? We'll see what the people on the platform want to do with it. Because the wonderful thing about a platform is that we're finding out is how versatile it is and how we actually don't need to um, generate all the ideas for it, which is great. People will realise and they're asking us questions. Can I do this on your platform? Which is wonderful to start grappling with and thinking about. So that's what Bamboo is. We're at the beginning of the journey there. It's got three brands live on it now. It'll have another couple fairly soon. And it's a really, really interesting time to be talking about how you run a law brand, particularly as you'll have seen um, the number of law firms has fallen below 10,000 for the first time this week. They were, there was a really great article about that. I think it's a really interesting time for, for law firms. It, it, it absolutely is. Um, and there's, there's a couple of things I must make notes to, to, to remind myself. I'm, I'm going to get a quote from you for, for my book at the moment about the future of law and how we've changed, because I think there's so much we could we could bring in there. Um, and what I will get from you as well um, before we send this episode live is, is where people could go to find out more details. I mean, I think I just Googled Bamboo Platform and it was right there. But um, we'll, we'll put some details on so people 
people can find it because I, I think that's such an interesting opportunity for those of people you know like me 10 12 years ago when I looked into do I set up on my own and I thought oh my goodness no way because running that part of it just the compliance is a full-time job never mind doing any of the work so I, I know things have got slightly easier but I'm sure there's so many people out there that would love that idea of um, having their own name over the door um, I think the other thing about it then is you take the other things I've talked about equity so we will offer people who run bamboo brands the chance to buy equity in bamboo uh, we will audit and assess every lawyer's work in the same way that we started auditing in carbon law partners that same set of principles around quality and standards so that all bamboo brands can have that same advantage when they go to market when they're wanting to hire lawyers and when they're wanting to hopefully attract and retain clients. And then we get to the value of your business. Well, it's your business. They're your clients. What's it worth? And I hinted at that marketplace thinking. So all of the thinking that's been done over the last, sadly for me, more than a decade of working this stuff out, effectively, it's, it's all there now. We've been trying it out and testing it um, over the last several years. And now we're bringing it all together. And, you know, we're just, we, we're just excited to bring it to the market and see what people make of it. Mm, yeah, no, no, absolutely. I think it's going to be a winner, but let's, let, let's watch this space. I just want to go back to a comment that we, we started talking about earlier, um, which I know you and I have talked about before, but the benefit, for the benefit of our listeners, can anybody be a self-employed lawyer, a consultant, or does it take a certain personality type, do you think? Um, I think the thing that's most important, actually, is for people to have a clear view of what they want from their lives. Um, and then alongside that, there's a really big word um, that I think is at the centre of how this goes, and that word is confidence. So anybody can be a consultant solicitor who is a solicitor, but it's about horses for courses. So if you prefer to work under what you perceive to be a, a well-known brand name and you think that's how you win business and you think that will help you to become a partner and partnerships what you want or you think it will generate the income that you want for your family in a working environment that suits you, then the great joy of what's happening in legal services now is there's the choice. Yeah. But if you are actually quite good at working with clients and clients like you, and you have a little dusting of confidence, not arrogance, then you can go about building a practice for yourself with a, with a great deal more control. Um, we talk about in, um, in Carbon Law Partners, freedom in a framework. So it, it's like I was saying earlier, every lawyer needs roughly the same things to practice. You know, you've got, obviously you've got specialism, so you need some things that are specialist to you, but the core of what you need is the same. And so the question for you now and the choice for you now is a, a, perhaps it wasn't available, certainly to me, 25 years ago when I came into the profession, there, was, there wasn't a choice. It was articles or there wasn't a way in. Um, so now there are different routes in. There are the routes in that you can get through being a legal exec. There are the routes in that you can get through the, the more traditional solicitor route, if you like. There are lots of different ways of coming into the profession. And then when you get there, there's a multiplicity of ways that you can choose to stand on the stage and perform and you take pays your money you take your choice so I think a lot of it's down to being having a clear view of what suits you and then having some confidence and then the third thing that's really 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 important is a little bit of discipline 
a little bit of if you if you there's a way of going about building the foundations in your first year as a consultant solicitor the types of things you should seek to do to build up your practice your client relationships your network and your income stream and none of them is rocket science and definitely none of them is beyond the intelligent folk who end up qualifying as lawyers through whatever route so i actually think anyone can do it but I don't think it's for everyone, if that makes sense. No, no, I, I, I do agree with you. There's absolutely no reason why people couldn't do it. But it does take takes that little bit of confidence, as you say. Um, people talk about entrepreneurial spirit, you know, and, and I think it does a little bit because it, it's the question of whether you want to be a business owner or you want to be an employee of another business, as you said, yes. I think. For some people, the idea that they have their pension covered, their health insurance, their sick leave and all that sort of thing, and they're guaranteed some every month, that is what suits them and their families. And, and that's what they want. And then there are those are other of us who, um, you know, I'm perfectly the first to say that I'm unemployable now. You know, it's too important to me to decide where I have my morning coffee and who with. <laughs> Oh, and, and, you know, that's just one example of the freedom that you can have. And I would actually, I would challenge you about, you know, some people would prefer the salary and the, and the, and the benefits package. You can get them for yourself. Yes. Because let's be honest, in the firm, you are taking 30% of what you bill. In any consultants listed model that's worth joining, you are taking 70% of what you bill. So if you, if you just work roughly as hard as you worked before, there's there's a reasonable chance if you have confidence, personality, and the things that make you able to build relationships with other people, if you just have those basic things, that you'll double your salary for the same amount of effort. But with all the freedom of where to have the morning coffee, um, when to go on holiday, whether to work when you're on holiday or not work when you're on holiday. So you could be on holiday a lot of the time. I mean, what you know, when we're all allowed to travel again, post-pandemic, we hope there will be a post-pandemic. And when you're allowed to travel, why can't you go and work in a different country or from the beach or take your laptop with you? As long as there's Wi-Fi, go and sit on a hill. It doesn't really matter. And your clients won't care. They care about the result. So all that freedom is available. And I question why you wouldn't want it. Um, but it's not for everyone. And I think that's really important. I think we probably move from being consultant solicitors for the 1% to being a consultant solicitor is for the 50%. And I think we're seeing that in the growth of consultant solicitor models um, in the marketplace that people are waking up to the idea that actually, well, I tell you what, I'll earn the same as I earn and work half as hard. Oh, yes. Oh. Yes. Oh, I'm, I'm for that. I'm for that. As I share with people lots of times, when I first started my business, I used to work all the hours. Now I work mm. half of that. And, you yeah. know, the income is the same. It's, it's, you know, it's fantastic. It's, it is a freedom choice as well as, as well, well as servicing well, your clients. And I think for me, and a lot of the drive for me in doing this is I don't think, you know, I'm comprehensive school educated, first university in my family, and I end up doing articles in, you know, what was the 10th best, inverted commas, biggest law firm in, in the UK. Let's be honest, I didn't really fit in. I didn't think I fitted in. I tried really hard to, and I bought the uniform. You know, I, 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 I bought the cutaway collar shirts, I bought the cufflinks, and I bought the bloody uncomfortable church's brogues. They were 300 quid yeah, back in oh, 1990, whatever it was, 1993 when I bought them. Yeah. And they rubbed my heels every day for the first year. 
but I'd got the uniform. Mm. And, I'm, and now I find myself thinking, uh, uh, well, I wouldn't wear a suit, really, unless you forced me to. And I don't believe that my best work has ever been done in a suit. So all these things are bound up in, I think probably what I'm trying to do is to, cr is to create the environment that I would like to have been able to work in as a younger person myself. So it's like create the conditions, which is actually our mission statement, to create the conditions for exceptional people to flourish. There are so many exceptional lawyers and so many exceptional clients. What if we create an environment where they can flourish together because we've dismantled the things that don't serve them? That's it. That's really what I'm faffing about with here. Oh, Michael, it's amazing. That is a fantastic place for us to leave it. I know you and I could talk all day about this and I'm going to invite you back on again to talk more about some of those little topics we didn't quite get to. But thank you so much for coming to join me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. If you're enjoying the Build Your Legal Business podcast, then please do give us a rating and perhaps even leave a comment. If you'd like to follow us more closely, then there is also a Facebook group where I upload all of the episodes for you and you can find details in the show notes. I look forward to speaking to you again soon.